All right, let's dive in. Uh, considered the greatest heavyweight boxing match of all time, the Thrilla in Manila. Just love saying that. Was the legendary fight between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. It was held on October 1st, 1975 in Manila, capital of the Philippines. Pretty sweet. This would uh, be their third and final fight. Both fighters had fought each other before. Each had won a fight. It was one Ali, one Frazier. And at this third fight in the historic trilogy, we're going to discover who, once and for all, who was the true champion. The fight lasted 14 grueling rounds. Showcased the intense determination and endurance of both Ali and Frazier. The bout was filled with intense exchanges, power punches, fierce competition. But in the end, you know who won? Ali right, emerged victoriously in the 14th round when Frazier's corner threw in the towel. He couldn't go on, and it solidified Muhammad Ali as one of the greatest boxers of all time. Well, we come today to the third and final battle in our fight with the tongue. The war for our words. This is it, guys. This is the epic battle. Right? We've been talking about this for uh, you know, two weeks. This is the third week in our series, Faith in Action, on the book of James. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about the power of the tongue, our struggle with our words. That's what gets us into more trouble than anything else. Our tongue, our words. You know what I'm talking about? A tongue is, the tongue is a fire, says James, a whole world of evil, and is set on fire by hell itself, says James. Unfortunately, James also said, no human being can tame the tongue. We can't do it. It's not within our own strength and our own ability. And over the last few weeks, as we've been watching our words, maybe you caught yourself a few times, done that. But I also know that there have been moments where I've lost that battle with the tongue, and maybe you have too. It was an unkind comment, a sarcastic word, uh, let a cuss word fly, or yelled at your kids, whatever it was. It was like Christian zero, tongue one. <laughs> we realized just how hard it's going to be to change. And last week, we came back, got ourselves back into the fight. And we discovered there are two kinds of wisdom working underneath our words. An earthly wisdom, which is driven by selfish ambition, envy, ego. And James says, this is what creates disorder in our relationships. But we also discovered there's a godly wisdom that can be at work in our words. And James even gave us a little checklist. Do you remember that? We could, so we could pause and before we act or speak, we could think about how we might respond with wisdom. This is based on James 3.17, which says, here's James 3.17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
So here's our wisdom test. And we, uh, we actually printed this out for us on, on some cards. Let's get that wisdom test up. Next slide. We actually printed this out by request. People are like, where can we get this, these questions? Because I want to remind myself to pause, to ask myself these questions before I speak, before I ask. How do we speak with wisdom? Well, ask yourself these seven questions. Before I say that, is my heart pure? Am I seeking peace? Am I ready to be gentle? Am I open to reason? Am I merciful? Am I impartial? Am I sincere? So we got some of these on that back table. Just pick one up on your way out. These are great questions to help us speak and act with wisdom. Wisdom is one of the keys to our victory. Tongue one, Christian one. How about that? Here we are today, week three. It's the final fight. How do we win the victory over our words? Well, in this last section on the tongue, James is going to teach us what it takes to win the ultimate victory. So let's get to it. We're in James chapter 4. If you have your Bible, I'm really glad you brought that. Uh, or a Bible app, head to James chapter 4. Uh, and let's walk through the passage together. Now next week, James is going to start a new topic on wealth, money, and planning for the future. So be here for that. But James in chapter 4, James gives us his final words on taming the tongue. And listen to this. This is what James says. James 4, verses 1 through 12. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it and uh, spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us? But he gives us more grace. And that's why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? These are strong words, right? This is the word of the Lord, and uh, God's going to be speaking to our hearts this morning. So let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this powerful passage, God, that can uh, change our lives. And we're here today because we want to know you. We want to surrender our lives to you and see uh, our lives change, our words change, God. So would you help us this morning? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit so 
we can experience your presence among us. God, thank you that you are worthy and you are glorious. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the epic battle, the final fight. Christian won, tongue won. How do we win the victory? How do we tame the tongue? Number one, here it is. We're going to fight from the heart. Fight from the heart. Now, in boxing, the heart is everything. Um, one of the biggest compliments that a boxer can receive is if someone says is that they fight from their heart. In fact, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, who's often regarded as one of the greatest boxers of all time, pound for pound once said, every move you make starts with your heart, and that's in rhythm or you're in trouble. And I would agree that's true for the Christian life. That either we're in rhythm with God or we're in trouble. You know what I'm talking about? Like if our life's not in rhythm with God, if our heart's not in rhythm with God, then our life is not in rhythm with God, then our words are not in rhythm with God, but it starts with the heart. We fight from the heart. Now here at Hope Community Church, we want to be a caring place where God transforms lives. But before I can change, before we can change, we need to understand what needs to be changed and why it's so hard to change. Otherwise, we're going to be trying to change the wrong thing. So what is, what is God want to change. He wants to change our lives, but I think this banner helps us out. It says Christianity is a matter of the heart. God wants to change our lives, but he's going to start from our heart. And the battle that is fought for every one of us is a battle for our heart, to get our heart in rhythm with the Lord. Now, James has been highlighting the heart throughout this entire section on the tongue as the place that our words go wrong. So consider these scriptures. James 3.13, a saltwater spring can't produce fresh water. <laughs> We're not going to get fresh words from a salty heart. Um, this spring that James is talking about, he's talking about the spring is the heart. And we reference Jesus' teaching from uh, Matthew 12.34, which says, out of the abundance of the what? The abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. Last week we saw in James 3.14 what causes disorder in our relationships. What causes those relational problems and difficulties. James said in 3.14, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. And then as this passage comes to a close, James is going to issue a challenge for us to purify our hearts. Our heart is the place where our words go wrong. So here today, we're going to fight for our heart. We're going to fight from our heart. We're going to fight with our heart. Now this battle, as we learn, as we continue to read, is going to take place on two levels. There's a horizontal battle in our relationships with one another. And there, then there's a vertical battle for our relationship with the Lord. Check this out. Let's start with the horizontal battle. Verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they, do they not come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but don't have, so you kill, you covet. You cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. James says, where do those quarrels and fights come from? And he uses this strong metaphor of kill and covet. Those are two of the Ten Commandments of 
breaking the commandments. But isn't it true that when you and I are irritated, when we're angry, when we're impatient, when we find ourselves experiencing conflicts in our relationships, the instinctive response for us all is to point at the other person for the reason for our conflict. Don't we naturally do that? If they wouldn't have done that, if they wouldn't have said that, if I didn't have this circumstance in my life, but what does James do? He says something radically different, doesn't he? And he says, don't these fights come from desires that, that are our war, that battle within you? The war is going on where? In our hearts, James says. So he says when we experience conflicts and quarrels in relationship, whether it's the spouse or our children or some, a co-worker, whatever it is, James says we want to stop and look at our hearts. Is our heart out of rhythm with the Lord, causing the conflicts, the battle within us? Have we let our hearts become fully satisfied in Christ? So James offers a solution. And he points to prayer and the power of prayer. Have, what is prayer? Prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is when our, we reveal our heart before the Lord. We invite Jesus to change our hearts, to move in our hearts. Have you brought your heart before the Lord? He continues in verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Don't miss the warning here. Call it the scariest verse in the Bible, honestly. He says you do not have because you do not ask God. Is there something missing in your life today? Because you simply haven't brought it before the Lord in prayer. Have you prayed about it? Have you talked to God? Are you praying even persistently before the Lord? He loves to answer our prayers. He, he loves to hear our prayers. Um, James echoes Jesus' teaching where he says in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. God is waiting to move in your life. He's waiting for your prayers. Prayer can move the hand of God. Prayer can change the hearts of those who prayed. Have you prayed about it? He says you do not have because you do not ask. J.C. Ryle once said, I love this quote, Nothing seems to be too great, too hard, or too difficult for prayer to do. James says prayer could be the solution. But in this case, in this passage, it fails. Look again at verses 2 and 3. Fails because they didn't ask in verses 2 and 3. James mentions a second pitfall in prayer. It says maybe you asked, you didn't receive because you asked with wrong motives. It says you prayed, but it came from a place of selfishness or envy. And he says, don't think God's going to answer a prayer that's only going to take your heart more out of rhythm with the Lord. 
So we move from the horizontal battle in our relationships with each other to the vertical battle for our relationship with God. He says in verse 4, again, uh, powerful language, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Strong language again. He says, you adulterous people, um, the not committing adultery is the seventh commandment. So here we've seen the sixth commandment, the tenth commandment, the seventh commandment here. And he's saying, just like someone who cheats on their spouse, James is saying, cheating on God with your affection for the world. You love the world, the things of this world, the pride, the affection, the praise of this world. Uh, those of you who are uh, in our women's group looking at um, the epistles of John, we have in 1 John 2.15, familiar to you, it says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. How we don't want to trade a friendship with God for the things of this world. And James says we've lost sight of the jealousy that God feels for us. He loves us. He longs for us. Verse 5, don't you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us? We're being called by God in this verse back to himself, back to a relationship with him, with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. He desires, earnestly desires, intensely longs for that relationship with us. Just to pause to catch us up, okay? Words are a reflection of our heart, and it's a battle being waged in our relationships with others, in our relationships with God. So, first point, we're going to fight for our heart, fight from our heart. It's going to be a fight for the hearts. The battle's in the hearts. How about this, number two? God is in your corner. God is in your corner. How do we win the victory? Well, no boxer ever fights alone. Right? There's somebody special to help the fighters called a corner man. And the corner man is like the backbone of the fighter's support system. And he's a trainer, a coach. Uh, uh, when the, the fighter's all bloodied up in the, the ring, you know, he gets to sit in the corners, he squirts his mouth with water, uh, does the, uh, takes care of the cuts and all that, the bruises. Well, guys, in the same way that we fight the battle for the tongue, we are not alone. And we've got God in our corner. He's, he's cheering us on. He's coaching us, encouraging us, inspiring us, changing us, motivating us, healing us. He's doing all of these things. We are not alone in this fight, but we have God and he can help us win the victory. So not only does Jaden want us to see God's in our corner, but he invites us to turn to him, draw near to him, and to receive his grace. I love this. Verse 6 he says, but he gives us some grace. What does he give us? He gives us, help me out, more. He gives us more grace. Oh, he already gave us grace, but he's ready to give you more grace today. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. I love this word grace. The meaning of grace is kindness 
that we don't deserve. And the power of grace is that God is working in our life to enable us to do something that would be impossible for us to do on our own. So we're saved by grace. We cannot save ourselves. That would be impossible. How are we saved? By our good works, by our efforts, because we were born in a Christian home, because we came out of the womb and we were given this tradition of Christianity. Of course not. We were saved because Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for sin. He rose from the dead. He reigns in glory. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He did it all. So we're not here today for a religious gathering. We're here today for a Jesus gathering. We're not here today for a religious service. We're here today for a grace service. Because it's not about what you and I can do. But it's about what God has done for us. And how do we receive Christ? The Bible says it over and over again. You receive Christ by grace through faith. By grace through faith. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone? By grace through faith. He will save you. He'll forgive your sins. You'll have a new relationship with God. It's called a friendship with God. God is going to be like your best friend friend. He's going to be in your corner. You will dwell with him forever. But he gives us more grace. Come on. The grace of God's not just about getting to heaven or going to heaven when we die, which I love, which I'm excited about. But the grace of God and the person of Jesus Christ is for you for today. For right now, he is in your corner. And the only way you're going to fight through what you're fighting through right now is by grace through faith. By grace through faith. I need grace today for the anger that I'm feeling. I just need grace today to be a mom or a dad. I need grace today for this situation in my life. I am fighting a battle and I need grace today. And James is saying, I have good news for you. He gives us more grace. But there's just one problem with grace. The problem with grace is that it just takes some humility to receive it. Just gotta ask. Doesn't scripture say, this is why scripture says God opposes the proud. He shows favor to the humble. Grace runs downhill. So James is saying right now, would you just let go of your pride and humble yourself and he will give you his grace. Then he gives us some steps, verse 7. He says, submit yourselves to God then. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. So it's real simple. He says, submit yourself to God. I am taking myself off the throne. 
and I'm placing my entire life, my relationships, my choices, my decisions, it's all coming now under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And he says, resist the devil. Resist those temptations that the devil's trying to throw your way because your victory is in Jesus Christ. He has defeated the enemy. There is power in the name of Jesus. Then he says, come near to God. Come near to God. Right now, this very moment, if you would draw near to God, he will draw near to you. He is here. He is present. He's in our corner. Boxing matches are made up of rounds. Each round in boxing, I believe, is three minutes. They fight it out, and then a bell rings. And the boxer is given a golden minute to go back to their corner and to meet with their cornermen. I think just one of the most important things we can do in our lives is to take a time out from the fight and to turn and return to God. He gives us this incredible promise. This is always true. If you will draw near to God, he will draw near to you. What does that look like? It might look like praying. We talked about prayer and bringing our hearts before the Lord. We've talked about scripture. He said, doesn't the scripture say the scriptures are going to encourage us? They're going to motivate us and instruct us. But every one of us needs that golden minute in the midst of the fight for healing, for strengthening, for encouragement, for help, for peace, whatever that is, you have a corner, and God is in your corner. And if you'll draw near to him today, he will draw near to you. It's his promise. And he will always keep that promise. James closes here on this part with some really strong words. Verse 8, he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Here it is, mention this, purify your hearts. Fighting from the heart, fighting for our hearts. Double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. The, the idea here is coming before God with a repentant heart that says, God, I don't know what I was thinking. I need you. I've been trying to do this without you. And I just want to humble myself before the Lord today because I know when I humble myself before you, you will lift me up. He gives us even more grace. How do we tame the tongue? How do we walk in victory? Number one, we fight from the heart. Number two, God is in your corner. Last one, we're going to deliver the knockout punch. Knockout punch. In any uh, fight, fans are always anticipating one thing more than anything else. It's the knockout punch, baby. What's the knockout punch? That's like the final swing that ends the fight, right, that uh, delivers the victory. And James closes with this description of the final freedom of the believer from the power and influence of the tongue. I love this. He says in verse 11, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but 
sitting in judgment on it. That's like, that's kind of like picking and choosing. Like, oh, like I think, I think uh, this is for me, this is for me, this isn't. He's saying, no, you're placing yourself above the law. Our job, he's God, our job is to come under the law and submit to him. But he says, um, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So previously, James has brought up this contradiction with our words. Uh, he talks about how out of the same mouth can come praising and cursing. So we're like, at church, yeah, we're praising God. Oh, God is an awesome God. I don't know what we're singing, but we're praising him. And then on the way home, we're like cursing our neighbor, yelling at the other driver. He's like, my brothers and sisters, this should not be out of the same mouth. We're praising God, cursing people who are made in the image of God. He should not be. But here, James says, putting an end to all that. It's over. No more slander. No more going around gossiping and saying negative things about other people. No more judging others. And of course, James gets this idea from his brother Jesus, who said in Matthew 7, 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. I've heard that this verse uh, has actually passed John 3.16, as the most quoted Bible verse. And it's often quoted, basically, to be thrown back in the face of Christians. Has heard that one before? Do not judge. Who are you to judge me? And we, we hear that all the time. Does being non-judgmental for us as Christians mean that we're not aware of right and wrong, or truth and error? Is that... Is that what being non-judgmental is all about? I, I don't think so. Because God has given us his word. His word is true. And truth sets people free. We're not going to call evil good and good evil. At some level, we all need to be discerning. We all need to make judgments. Otherwise, we would just be in a total state of confusion, right? So what is this... Do not judge. Well, let's go back to James and look at verse 11 and see if he can, we can look at the context and see what he's talking about here. I think we can begin to understand what James is talking about when he says, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them. James is identifying this tendency in the human heart to look for the worst in people. To unfairly judge or unfairly criticize someone, to, to judge someone unfairly or more critically than they deserve. Do we all know what that feels like? We do. What happens is we're not loving our neighbor as ourself. And so James says, rather than look down on others, judging them, how about we look up at God and remember that he's the ultimate judge? And it's actually, there's only one opinion in the universe that actually matters. Isn't that kind of freeing to know? Because we all know what it feels like to be judged, but really there's only one opinion that matters, and it's the Lord's. He is the judge. He is the one who has the power to save and destroy. So how do we tame the tongue? This is it. With us, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So how do we triumph? How do we walk in victory? Three things 
fight from the heart. It's a battle for the heart. Number two, God is in your corner. If God's with you, he will give you more grace. As you come near to him, he comes near to you. And then number three, deliver the knockout punch. No more slander. No more judgmentalism. He's empowering us to live and speak differently because he's setting us free. Christ is our champion and Christ is our victory.